Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Amen. What a great day. Amen. So listen, I know that you feel like I have to say that, but it's really been a good day. One or two people just came into the kingdom, right? That's a good day. God's presence was here to respond to our worship, and he did. And listen, I want to challenge you. I understand sometimes we go a little long in worship. But our length in worship may contribute to God's moving in somebody's heart. All right? Our duration. Because Jesus said that when he's lifted up, he draws all men to him. So if you get tired, that's fine. Sit down. No worries. No harm, no foul. But keep worshiping. Right? Keep the atmosphere high. You know, it might seem like we do a song a few times. It's because God's doing something while, while we're singing it. And we're not going to stop. Is that okay? Does that make sense? You understand when we get to heaven one day, there's going to be singing for we don't know how long. Amen? I hope we don't do it for all of eternity, but if we do, fine. So let's just let's keep our, our hearts and our mindsets on what God's doing. Let's move in obedience. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get to it, I want to remind you, uh, uh, Wednesday nights, we're doing study groups in the sanctuary on Wednesday night. We had a group up front last week. And we had, a, we had a group in the back. That's why you see those tables and whiteboards back in the back corner. And uh, we're studying. You know, uh, Brandon and I are leading a group, and we're studying the book of Colossians. And we're, we're going verse by verse. And we wanted to get through chapter 1. We got through verse 3 in our first night. So um, it was a good study time. A lot was a lot learned, those that were in the group. Did you feel like you learned something, walked away with it? All right, I'm seeing some heads nod. That's good. All right. The other group is uh, Topic of Anxiety with Sister Hall and Sister Trish, uh, Marcus, and that's up front here. So come out Wednesday night, 7 to 8 o'clock. Bring your young people. We have classes for kids and youth group as well. So come out for that. Do not neglect that, please. One hour, 7 to 8 o'clock on Wednesday. And for next Sunday, uh, next Sunday's Mother's Day. Did you realize that? Husbands, next Sunday's Mother's Day. Right? Get something. You got a few days. Uh, Sister Hall will be preaching next Sunday. On Mother's Day, all right? So we're excited about that. We will have a gospel presentation, but she's going to be preaching as well. So come out for that, all right? If you got your Bibles uh, this afternoon now, would you go to the book of Genesis? I'm setting my timer for 30 minutes. Turn it off, he said. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right. We're going to be in the book of Genesis, chapter 8 to start, toward the end of the chapter, verses 20 and 21. Then we're going to go to chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read the text for you, then I'll give you the title and we'll pray, okay? Genesis 8, verse 20. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every kind of clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Now we're going to skip to chapter 9, verse 1. 
continuation of this exchange between God and Noah. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Number two, verse two. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every animal of the earth and on every bird of the sky, on everything that crawls on the ground and on all the fish of the sea. They are handed over to you. I want to talk to you this morning about fear plus obedience. Fear plus obedience. I'm going to tell you why here in just a minute. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. God, we are grateful that you are saving folks every single Sunday. God, we ask you to give us the courage to invite those that we know, those that we're praying for to continue to come so that they may hear the gospel. Lord, in the same time, we ask you to open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive this good seed of the word because it is good and it is meant to get within us and produce something in us that remains. And Father, we give you permission to grow whatever your word has for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Fear plus obedience. I think it's an odd combination, isn't it, for a sermon title? Fear and obedience. Because we have the negativity surrounding fear and we have obedience, which kind of sometimes has a little bit of negativity around it, right? Has anyone found that obedience is difficult sometimes? Amen? It's, it's hard to obey your parents sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to obey those in authority over you at work sometimes when they're kind of being dumb. Amen? I mean, I didn't say that. You said that. But it's hard to obey people all the time. It's hard to obey the things you ought to obey. It's hard to obey the speed limit, especially the way people around here drive. It's hard to obey. And these are trivial, silly examples, but the point is obedience is not exactly within our nature. And the problem with that is that we were not, as Brandon said, we were not made for that kind of nature. And what we find in the Bible is that fear is a common thing that pops up throughout Scripture, but fear gets in through one specific way. And it is actually the the door, the vehicle for fear is the opposite of obedience. That is disobedience. Well, how do I know that? Because in Genesis chapter 3, we see, not the ones we read from, chapter 3, we see the fall of mankind. We see Adam and Eve in the garden. They have chosen to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at the beguiling of the serpent who tempted Eve. We see that choice being made, and then we see their response to their failure. What they do is they make clothes for themselves, and they hide among the bushes, and then God comes down. And God calls out to man. He calls out to Adam, and he says, where are you? And Adam says to him, I hid myself because I was afraid. I hid myself because I was afraid. It's interesting, isn't it? Fear came because of disobedience. We, liked, we don't use the word fear all the time. We use words like anxiety and depression, mental health. But it's all the same thing. It's all fear. Now, I understand that a lot of these things that happen to people, you cannot help what happens when somebody abuses or somebody, uh, somebody dominates or does something they should not do to you. I'm not at all talking about that. But there are things in all of our life that are disobedient to the Word of God. There are things that happen in the life of a believer that come upon them, not because the devil put them in a headlock, not because demons, a legion of demons, possessed them and made them do it, but because they were disobedient. 
Amen? I'll say it like this. I have had things pop up in my life, not because of demons, not because of great strongholds, but because I was disobedient. I disobeyed the word and standards of God. And then all of this stuff comes in, and I don't know how to deal with all of it. And because I'm not made to deal with all of it, all of a sudden uncertainty and instability comes along with the disobedience, and now I have fear or anxiety or mental health issues because I don't know what the outcome will be. I cannot see a way out. I cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel because I'm in a tunnel I was never meant to be in. Amen? Anybody bear witness? You with me? Okay. All right. Fear comes through disobedience. Disobedience. Therefore, if I want to get out of fear, I have to inject some obedience into my life. Is that good? Is that too simple? I know it's like, I I know you're thinking, well, all that's going on in here, all that's happening, all that I'm afraid, I don't know what's going to go on with my marriage. I don't know what's going to happen with my kids. I don't know if my job's going to be there six, six months from now. All this uncertainty that's happening. And yet, all this fear that comes with that could be actually undermined if we would begin to walk in obedience. Step out in faith. Do the things that God says. That's what obedience is. Doing what God says. I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 8 and 9, Noah is on the other side of a great calamity, yes. But he's on the other side of the greatest moment of obedience of his entire life. The world was awful. It was in such a state that God said it would be better that I destroy it and start over. Do you understand how bad that would be? Brandon and I were talking before service. You know, people say all the time, it's like, oh, this is the worst time in the history of mankind to raise children. No, it's not. You weren't on the earth during the time of Noah, right? God's not dropped water out of the sky just yet, has he? It must not be that bad. Amen. There was 70, 80 years ago, there was a world war and a holocaust and millions died and God still didn't flood the earth and start over. So how bad must the world have been for God to do what he did in the days of Noah? But in those same days, Noah found favor and grace in the eyes of the Lord because Noah was near unto the Lord. And it's interesting because he was so near that his nearness actually benefited his family. We don't know that his sons were near. It doesn't say that his sons were near. It doesn't say that his sons found favor in the eyes of God. It says Noah did. But Noah was so close to God that it benefited his generations. Mom, dad, grandma, papa, get close to God and it might just benefit your generations. Get close to him. Stay near to him. Find his favor. Not so that you may benefit from it, but so that they may benefit from it. And they did. And they got to go through the calamity too. And it's interesting to me that all throughout the story of Noah, from I think chapter 6 on here through chapter 9, this is the the first time that, that fear is brought up. Isn't that fascinating? You would think huddled in the boat with the animals and the smells and the up and the down, and you would think there would be fear. And there probably was. But notice that the author of these these stories, the author did not highlight that to us during the calamity. 
They got through it. They got to the other side of it. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. They were in the boat for six months after the rain stopped. Seventh month, the, the waters recede and they touch down. Another month or so later, they get out of the boat onto dry ground. And they get out and they show honor to God and they sacrifice, they build an altar, they sacrifice to God for seeing them through. And God says, I'm going to bless you. And then he says in verse 2, the fear of you and the terror of you will be upon every animal on the earth. Interesting. What, what a curve to take in the middle of the story. Fear. Why wasn't he speaking to their fear when they were in the boat? Here's the thing. Noah walked in such obedience that by the time he got to the other side, God was willing to step into something and speak into something that they themselves may not have even been aware of. Okay? There was something underlying in them because of the condition of the world uh, that, that the world was in. There was something going on in them. And these animals that they were called to save, that they were to, to, arc, to put in this ark and, and, and restore, these animals occupied a different place in their life before the flood than they did after their life, or after the flood. And he says, the fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that creeps on the earth and all the fish. They're delivered into your hand. Into your hand they're given. This verse implies to us that fear and terror of mankind was not on the animals before the flood. Does that make sense? Otherwise, why would God address it? If they were already dominating the animals, the animals were afraid of them, then why would he have to say anything about it? He, he doesn't. So, he has to address that. And it's interesting because the only way that God could address that is if Noah had obeyed. Obedience is the vehicle that leads them out of fear. You get it? All right, obedience is the vehicle. So they obeyed God. They built the ark. They, they herded the animals. They took care of everything. They endured that months-long process. They got through to the other side. And God says, because you obeyed, I'm going to bless you. But I'm not only going to bless you, I'm going to elevate you. I'm going to elevate you above what you were afraid of. Obedience brought an elevation in their relation to their fear. The very thing that they were afraid of because of their obedience, God says, will now be afraid of you. The very thing that made them fear and tremble before the flood, the very thing that caused them to huddle together in fear, was now subject to them. What they were afraid of would now be afraid of them. And he says in the second half of the verse that they are handed over to you. This is a statement of dominion, a decree of supremacy. What you feared is now afraid of you. What you feared is now delivered into your hand. Church, whatever is dominating you when it comes to your fear, your anxiety, your mental health, whatever it is that is lording over you will come crashing down when you obey. Will come crashing down when you walk in obedience and live in obedience. Well, what, what, is, what do I have to obey? You obey the book. You obey the word of God. God's standard for everything. You do that. And obedience facilitates an overcoming, an elevation. 
Well, how do I do that? Well, first of all, the good news is, is that if you're a believer, you have Jesus in you. Amen? Listen, if Noah could be near to God without Jesus, you can be near to God with Jesus. All right? Bottom line, there's no way around that. If Noah can find grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord with no cross, no Holy Spirit, no empty tomb, don't you think that you've got everything that you need within you to find grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord? You do. You do. He can help you understand the book. He can help you learn it and remember it. In fact, the Holy Spirit, that's one of His functions, is to bring all things to our remembrance when we need them. Jesus said that's what He would do. So when you're in a situation where you're about to fall into disobedience, the Holy Spirit usually kicks up and says, Hey, hey, stop. Don't do that. Red flag. Don't do that. Anybody else have that experience? Red flag. When the, the, the sirens start going off, pay attention. Pay attention because the, fire, the, the siren gets more faint the less you pay attention to it because the disobedience grows. You get farther and farther away from the Lord and you find yourself in more and more uncertainty. So obedience is the vehicle that elevates us above what we are afraid of. So I've got to obey. I've got to obey. And listen, I don't think that God is saying, because you disobeyed me, you're going to fall into a mental health crisis. Because you disobeyed me, I speak depression over you. No, no, that's not how that works. It's that we disobey, and because we disobey, we step outside of God's protection and covering and blessing and plan, and now we got to deal with what God curses and what God hates. It's not that the, the, the obedience of God is domineering and controlling. It's that outside of it is certain death. Outside of obeying God, you open yourself up to things that you cannot survive, that will wreck your children and your family, that will destroy a marriage and a career. You open yourself up because you step outside of a God that says, don't do that. And he doesn't say, don't do that, because he's ready to knock you on the head. He says, don't do that because it's not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not good for your spirit or your soul. So then we obey and the opposite happens. We step into what God can bless. I start doing things that God says are awesome. And then God says, oh, I can bless that. I can add to that. I can multiply to that. And in fact, that's the truth, is that God prefers to multiply as to adding. He prefers multiplying instead of adding. And when I'm in obedience, I can be multiplied. Right? He said on the other side, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. And that's exactly what they did because they obeyed. Most believers struggle and battle and strive in this world because their problem is not the enemy, it's disobedience. Is that fair? It's disobedience. God, what am I doing? What am I not doing? What's happening in me that ought not be happening? And the goodness of God comes along and says, hey, don't. Hey, obey. There's a better option. There's a better way. And that's our opportunity. So obeying God creates an opportunity to be elevated above what you fear. What's your fear? Are you afraid that your spouse is going to leave? Are you afraid that your kids are going to go to hell? or end up addicted, or divorced, or messed up? What, what's your fear? Are you, are you afraid you're going to end up homeless? What's your fear? 
Now, what's your obedience? What are you obeying God on? What are you not obeying God on? It might be something simple. It might be something profound. Regardless, obedience is the vehicle that will elevate you above. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is the story of Jesus' birth. As according to the Apostle Matthew. Verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You'll call him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. First mention in the New Testament of fear is right here. Here you have Joseph, a good man, a just man, good church boy. And he's betrothed to what appears to be a good church girl. Pretty, young, I'm assuming. And he's excited. He's ready for life to start. And all of a sudden, the worst thing that can happen happens in that situation. She turns up pregnant by the Holy Ghost. By the Holy Ghost. I'm saying that. My watch didn't like that. Sorry. I say that because even good church folks, if somebody were to walk in today and say that God got somebody pregnant, we'd be like, uh, okay. Sure he did. So here these, you know, here these people are. This guy, he's about to begin his life. And she's about to begin this relationship. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't believe it. Why would he? And he's afraid. He fears for her. He loves her. He must. I, I don't think he would have stuck around or deliberated that long if he didn't. Is that fair? And that's an entirely Western perspective, so that may be wrong. All right. That may not be how they did it in ancient Jewish culture, but that's, that's how I'm going to say they did it. All right. Give me grace. So he loved her. He was afraid for her, for the outcome, for her potential, for her future. He did not want to disgrace her. He was a little bit worried about his own potential, his own future, of course. And he was struggling, and he was struggling in here. And what's amazing is he doesn't, so far as we know, he doesn't go to the rabbis. He doesn't go to the high priest. He just is, is struggling inside. And he lays down to go to sleep, and he has a dream. And in that dream, God says, do not be afraid. I love this. Joseph's fear was on God's radar. Joseph's fear was enough for the God of all creation to notice. Well, yeah, it concerned his son, and it was all this big plan. Yeah, sure, but he was just a guy trying to do the right thing. That's all he was doing. He wasn't worried about raising the Messiah just yet. And all of a sudden, he's, he's got all these fears, and the God of heaven steps into a dream and sends an angel and says, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Church, if Joseph's fear is on God's radar, our fears are on God's radar. If Joseph's fear can get God's attention, don't you think that God knows what, what fears you have in your life? He knows. Don't you think that he knows how to handle it? And what I love is, is God's response to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, I know who you are. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child is of the Holy Spirit. 
He'll call his name Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sins. He says, you will call his name Jesus. God gives an instruction to Joseph, an opportunity for obedience. That's what an instruction is. It's an opportunity for obedience. How often do we tell our children to do something a specific way at a specific time, and they don't do it, or they don't do it right, or the way you ask? I remember when I was growing up, getting in trouble, not for not doing it, but not doing it when they wanted or how they wanted. Because I thought I knew better. And I didn't. And that's what we do sometimes with the Lord. But God presents Joseph in his fear, in the midst of his fear, with an opportunity to obey. Why? Because if he will obey, God will elevate him above his fear. But what's cool is that he gives Joseph the instruction that, that he still has to walk out, and he still has to do. He still has to obey. But the promise is that he will raise a, a young man who will save his people from their sins. This is the promise. But the only way to get there is through obedience. Joseph thinks everybody's going to say this and that about him. And they did. There's a chapter later on where they even go to Jesus and they say, his own community says to him, well, at least we're not the product of fornication. Right? They're saying to him, we know what your mama did. They said that it followed him his whole life. Joseph knew that would come, but he had an opportunity, a choice. Will he obey and endure? Or will he disobey and walk away? And brother and sister, that's all our choice. That's it. That's the choice of this house. Will we obey and endure? Oh, but we've endured so much. Anybody tired of enduring? Individually, as a family, as a church family? Yeah. Get tired of enduring sometimes. A little bit of glory, Lord. A little bit of peace. But it's like Apostle always says, it's not, it's not crown time yet. It's still sword time. It's still sword time. We're not on streets of gold. We don't have crowns on our heads just yet that we're laying down at his feet. So that means we got to be crossing swords. So Joseph had to walk this out. He had to obey. He had to follow through. So we have to make that choice. Will we choose to obey God over what we fear? And listen, Joseph's experience with the dream was his own personal experience. Imagine Joseph going to the carpentry shop and telling his buddy, his buddy being like, man, how's it going? What are you going to do about Mary? And he's like, man, I had a dream last night. Oh, you did? What happened? I had a dream. There was an angel that showed up in my dream, and he told me not to be afraid, but that the baby was actually fathered by the Holy Spirit. Oh. That's what your dream said, huh? Man. Hey, what would you eat before you went to bed? What would you, you read before you went to bed? Is there any chance, just trying to be a good friend here, man, devil's advocate, is there any chance that maybe, maybe that was your imagination? There's no doubt. Joseph had a personal experience with the Lord, and that personal experience was the only thing he had to motivate him to obey God. It wasn't a big grand uh, shaft of light shining from heaven in front of all of Nazareth that, that lit him up out of the crowd, and God said in a booming voice, marry her, this is my son. None of that happened. It was all in here. And Joseph had to go with that. But that one opportunity was the thing that would lead him out of his fear. 
the instruction that God brought, and the opportunity to walk in it. Last passage, 2 Timothy chapter 1. You with me so far? All right, it's 1234. You hanging in? Okay. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. This is Paul writing, Paul the Apostle writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. This is a tough time. There's a, there's a cloud of suffering over this letter. Paul is writing from a prison cell. Paul has endured beatings, shipwreck. He was beat so bad at one point that they thought he was dead. He might have died, and God might have raised him from the dead. We don't know. He's been shipwrecked on two or three occasions at this point. He's reaching the end of his ministry, the end of his life. He's in prison in a foreign land, about to pay the ultimate price. And his son in the faith, Timothy, his protege, is in Ephesus in Turkey. And, and he's, he's over, that's modern-day Turkey. He's in Ephesus, and he's seeing the climate of persecution on the rise. All right? And he's, he's seeing that the people around him are getting meaner and meaner to Christians. They're hurting them. They're killing them. All right? The Romans are passing laws against them, all this stuff that we've not experienced just yet. It's not American persecution. It's real persecution. So all this stuff's happening, and Timothy is getting, uh, he's getting a little sketched out by it. He's in trouble. He's starting to waver a little bit. Paul hears about it somehow, and he writes to his son, and he says to him, I'm mindful. I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelled in your grandmother and your mother, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. Why does he start this exchange with Timothy this way? Because there's so much fear in his life. Paul does not acknowledge the fear first. He instead appeals to Timothy's faith. Fear is uncertainty. Fear is instability. So when you have uncertainty and instability, what do you do? You go to things that are stable. Okay? You go to things that are stable. What is stable and settled in your life? What is stable and settled? That Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, was sent from heaven to earth to die in my place. I know that he died for me. I know that he died as me. And I know that he got up from the grave so that I could get up from the grave someday. I know that. I know that his Holy Ghost is in me. I know that his gifts are in me. I know that. But my circumstance is starting to make me want to keep all that to myself. To push all that down. And so Paul appeals to Timothy's faith and says, in the midst of fear, son, remember your faith. Brother, sister, remember your faith. Remember what you first believed. Before things got too tough. Before people did dumb things and got crazy. Remember what you first believed. What are you certain of? That sincere faith within you. He says in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh, or the King James says to stir up within you the gift of God through the laying on of my hands. So he appeals to his faith first and then to what God has deposited within him. He's, he's rebuilding this structure in Timothy's life that will enable him to endure and obey. He appeals to the faith. He stirs up the gift. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. And understand, a spirit of fear is designed and weaponized to make you timid. A spirit of fear is designed to get on you so that it can back you down and push you under. So that it can shut your mouth and not just stop you from talking to others, but stop you from talking to God. 
Because if you're afraid and you don't trust him, all of a sudden you won't want to talk to him. And that's experience talking. There's plenty of times where I don't understand, and because I don't understand and I'm not getting an answer, I don't exactly want to get alone with God. That's what a spirit of fear does. It gets on you and it says to you, maybe God is lying. Maybe he's not trustworthy. Maybe he can't heal anymore. Maybe he didn't mean what he said. And it causes you to back down and shut up and sit down and say, I don't know what will happen. I'll just see what happens. It's a spirit of fear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if something is trying to back you down and shut you up, it's not God. It's not God. But if I obey, if I obey, there's an opportunity here. And this is what Paul is walking Timothy into. He says, remember your faith. Remember the gifts that God's deposited within you. And then he says, push on. He says, God's not given us a spirit of timidity. He says, therefore, in verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. This is how we know that Timothy's fear was prison for the sake of Christ. Because what Paul identifies is the cause of Christ and, and his own imprisonment. That's how we know. So this is what he's afraid of. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed. Remember your faith. Remember the gifts. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. So he says, do not be ashamed, but join with me in suffering. But join with me in suffering. Man, I said this in the 9 o'clock. We get all the birthday invitations this time of year. Every Saturday, our kids are going to a birthday party. But what, imagine what would happen if you got an invitation to suffering. Hey, come join Johnny. We're going to go suffer. Who wants that? Nobody's going to do that. This is the opportunity for obedience. Would you obey if obedience meant suffering? That's a heavy question. That's loaded, bro. That is loaded. Only a father to a son could say something like that. Would you obey? Would you follow through, Timothy? Would you walk out the call? Would you walk out the mission and the purpose? Would you join me in suffering? And this is it. This is the only way that Timothy will overcome his fear, is if he chooses to walk in obedience to get out of fear. But obedience to God might mean suffering in his body or in this present world. And I know that's heavy. And I, listen, I hope we never have to face what Timothy faced. I hope we never do. Because we don't know what we do in that situation, do we? We'd like to think we know what we would do. But be careful. Take heed lest you fall. Stand up and proclaim that you might do this or you might do that. Only to find out you might not. So he says to him, join me, join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who saved us and called us, saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which granted was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. 
Paul is making these inclusive statements to Timothy to say, hey, you might join me. You might end up where I end up. But it's worth it. Listen, you don't say that stuff cheaply. The guy sitting in the jail cell is the only one who can say whether or not it's worth it. Amen? Amen? Church, this is where we are. Not necessarily in the cloud of suffering, not necessarily with with what Paul is facing. Where we are is on the edge of opportunity to continue in obedience. It's where you are individually. It's where we are collectively. Will we move forward in obedience? Church, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but God saved like 21 or 22 people in the last four weeks. I don't know if you understand that we are in obedience right now. Yeah, it's 1243, I get it, but we're in obedience. Somebody came to Jesus today. And yeah, we're getting out maybe 1245, 1 o'clock. That might happen. God forbid. It might happen, but we're in obedience. And people are coming out of darkness and into light. They're being ripped out of hell and brought into heaven. Because we decided to obey the word of the Lord. And I hope you're not suffering through these services. But if you are, you'll be just fine. Because we're in obedience. Amen? This is worth it. But I want to challenge you this morning. Walk out of here. Walk out of here considering what areas of your life might be avenues through which fear and anxiety and mental health problems are coming from. And don't be like, oh, it's my husband's fault, or it's my wife's fault, or it's my kids. Can I tell you that children are a product of their environment? And children grow up to be adults that are products of their environment. And those same adults set out to reproduce the very environment that they grew up in. And when you, took, you put people together from bad environments, you get bad environments. What you need is God to change the person. You need obedience. Obedience is the vehicle by which you will be changed. I guarantee it. It doesn't matter if mom and dad, what's normal for you is when mom and dad are chucking lamps at each other. Or mom's walking out and disappearing for a week at a time. It doesn't matter if that's normal for you. You start obeying the Lord step by step, God will take care of that stuff. He'll take care of it. He can save a marriage. He can work on habits. He can work on attitudes. All that stuff. He can do that when you choose to obey. But if you walk in disobedience, nothing but instability and insecurity will come. Fear, guilt, shame, all that stuff that comes with it. So we got to work out our obedience. But it seems to me like, based on this particular sermon that somebody just preached, it seems to me like we have a pretty surefire way to get out of that. Amen? That if we will submit ourselves, therefore, to God, obey Him, resist the devil, the devil will flee. And when the devil flees, then it's just your flesh that's left. And God is the Lord of all flesh. He can handle your flesh. If he can handle the devil, he can handle your flesh. So we have the opportunity. Amen. Stay with me this afternoon. Does it all make sense? You get it? All right. I'm not looking for the applause, but thank you. Thank you. What I want most is that you walk out saying, hey, I can do that. I need to obey God. Listen, you don't just need to obey God so you don't go to hell. Do you hear me? 
It's not just so you don't go to hell. It's so that you live the life that he has for you on this earth. And this life might have some suffering in it. For some reason, that seems to be the case. That even for the cause of Christ, we might suffer. But if we choose to obey, if we walk out of here today saying, you know what? I, listen, I guarantee there's two or three things that most everybody can think of that they could do better in their walk with the Lord. Is that fair? There is for me at least two or three, maybe more. Nobody judge. If we walk out today saying, you know what? I kind of figured out why I might be a bit of a basket case at home. I might have figured out why my kids don't trust me. might have figured out why. People look at me and they're like, Aren't you supposed to be a Christian? Might have figured out why. There might be some disobedience in my life. There might be some things. Maybe that's why I feel like the enemy's got me under his thumb. And it's not that your obedience is some magical thing because of your awesome might and ability that God's going to honor it. No, it's a simple principle. That if I do what God loves, God will do the best that he can for me. Amen? That's it. That's all it is. But when I step outside of it, I'm entirely on my own. And I can't handle that. I don't know if you figured that out or not. I've learned that lesson. I cannot handle this world. I can't handle me. I can't handle me, much less the world around me. So can we make a commitment today, a recommitment, a renewal as a body? We are going forward in obedience. Amen? We are moving ahead in obedience. What used to cause me to fear and tremble will someday, it might be next week or next month or next year, but someday that thing is going to be afraid of me because I'm going to have a testimony that says that because I heard the word of the Lord and I obeyed God and His instruction and I followed through even through suffering, I got to the other side and now I have authority. I have dominion over that thing that once had dominion over me. Amen? That's what's at stake. And there will be people all around you who will see that difference. And it won't be hard to hand them a card and invite them to church. Or to say, hey, come sit by me. It won't be hard at all because they'll see it. They'll get it. And then when they come in here, they'll get their part too. Amen? Are you with me? You agree? Let's lift our hands this morning. Let's just tell Jesus that we agree. Jesus, we agree with your word. Jesus, we receive your word. We understand and we surrender, God. Just like these hands are up, we surrender to what you have for us. God, show us where we're being disobedient. Show us, Lord, if it's a huge thing, help me, God. If it's a small thing, help me, God. Lord, show us where there's disobedience, Lord. We don't want to facilitate instability and fear and insecurity and mental health issues in us or our families, God. We want to be free. We want to be free, and we recognize today that obedience is the vehicle. Obedience is the way out. And God, we're coming out in Jesus' name. We're coming out of that. We're coming out of that mess between our ears. We're coming out in Jesus' name. And we're moving ahead into freedom and deliverance through obedience, through obedience. Thank you, God, for giving us a way out. Thank you, God, for filling us with your spirit. Thank you, God, for giving us Jesus so that we can live in obedience. In Jesus' mighty name, 
Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? If you receive it. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.